Welcome to 321 I Relaunch, the podcast where we discuss strategies, advice, and success stories about returning to work after a career break. I'm Carol Fishman Cohen, the chair and co founder of I Relaunch, and your host for today. And we're very excited to have Lisa Heffernan, co founder of Grown and Flown, as our guest. She's also the best selling author of Goldman Sachs Culture of Success. We are going to be talking to Lisa about how she and Mary Del Harrington built Grown and Flown and also about life stages, careers, empty nesterhood, and more. And I have to add that Lisa and I are lifelong friends. We uh, grew up and went to summer camp together in Southern California way back in the 70s and somehow both ended up in the Northeast working for investment banking firms. And Lisa will tell you what she was doing there um, when, when she goes through her career history, which I will ask her about. And we've been in touch through all of our life stages since we reconnected as young professionals uh, when we were in our 20s. So welcome to 321 I Relaunch, Lisa. Carol, thank you so much for having me. So I'm so happy to be having this conversation. I know so much about your background, and I know how much you're going to be able to offer our listeners. Uh, and before we dive into some of these specific questions um, I want to ask, um, I wanted to know if you can just tell us, what is Grown and Flown? Well, Grown and Flown is a a website, a community. Um, it's basically a way to help parents who are in what I consider the most exciting, but also the most challenging and consequential stage of parenting, and that is parenting teens and young adults. Um, as I enter that stage myself, I discover there isn't a lot written about it. If your kids are in diapers or your kids are in the crib, there's plenty to read. If your kid's learning to drive or getting in trouble in high school or running into any other sorts of problems, or just some of the wonderful things that happen to teens and young adults. There's very little written. So we launched Grown and Flown. So just to start, can you take a giant step back and walk us through your career history and what led you to starting Grown and Flown with Mary Dal Harrington? Sure. Um, I went to college, as you might have guessed. Um, and I did something that people don't do much anymore, but I went right from college to business school. Um, I would suggest this is an extremely poor idea and I would discourage anyone from doing it. Going to, going to business school with no business experience is um, certainly a waste of an education. So, But I did that um, and came out of business school and worked in management consulting for a couple of years, which was very common for people to do when I came out of business school. Um, I didn't really enjoy it. Um, I found it a little too hands-off for me. I know it's a career that many people find a lot of gratification with, but for me, it was a little hands-off. And I jumped into working in a presidential campaign, which was kind of a crazy move, but um, being young and being in my 20s, it just seemed like a really exciting thing. And I worked on a presidential campaign for two years, uh, traveling around the country, raising money, putting on events, the sorts of things 20-somethings do when they're working in politics. And then I um, went to work straight from there to Goldman Sachs. Um, one of the people I had worked for on the campaign was one of the partners at Goldman Sachs. And I went on to one of their trading floors, which was a very, very big change. Uh, an all-male environment, uh, a bit frightening, a bit frightening because I knew nothing about it. Um, what? Wait, what were you trading? I was trading currencies. So I was actually trading what was then called exotic currencies. They're not very exotic now. Um, things like the Australian dollar, the New Zealand dollar, uh, Canadian dollar, um, that sort of thing, Malaysian ringgit, um, and currencies that no longer exist. Uh, the euro subsumed a lot of uh, the other currencies. 
Wait, hold on, hold on. How did you learn how to do that coming from working in a presidential campaign? Was it just they threw you onto the desk and it was sink or swim? Like what happened? It really was sink or swim. Um, Luckily, I work with some incredibly kind people who helped me swim. Uh, A lot of reading, a lot of research, a lot of watching what other people were doing. Um, sent me to London for a period of time. London at the time was really the epicenter of currency trading. It probably still is. Um, but mostly just learning by watching and learning by doing and learning by falling on your face. Mm-hmm. Okay, sorry, I interrupted you. So keep going. So you were a currency trader. Yeah, I did that. And um, then I got married and wanted to start a family. So I left that um, when I was having my first child. And um, I had my second child quite quickly behind my first child. So there was, there was no, uh, the maternity leave was one long leave because the kids are so close in age. And after my second son was born, I went back to work. I actually went back to work at Bankers Trust on their trading floor. Um, so now, now I'm in my 30s. I'm working with 20-something men. I feel extremely out of place. Um, it's still an all-male environment. Um, mm-hmm. And I'm going to have a third child. And um, I've read a lot of research. I don't know, Carol, if you read this, that third children really put people over the edge in terms of um, that kind of career. This is in the 90s, and there is no way to work remotely. There is no internet yet. There is no way for me. If I'm working, I'm in the office, and I'm in the office long hours. And I can't quite figure out how this is going to work. So um, where were you at this time? London. You were in London at this time. Mm -hmm. Okay. Two small children at home. You were pregnant with the third child, and you had gone back to work um, on a currency trading desk. Yeah, I was actually I'd gone back to work in equity equity trading. But yes, so I I, I wasn't yet pregnant with the third. I was knowing that um, our family was going to hopefully be three children. Um, that's what we were. That's what we were hoping to do. Um, but I had a two year old and a three year old, and um, was going to become pregnant um, when I realized that this was untenable. Um, I'm sure I'm going to tell you a story that many, many women have told you. My nanny woke my children up in the morning. My nanny put my kids to bed at night. Um, I came in sometimes and saw them in their pajamas, already had dinner and baths and, you know, could read them a story or play with them for a few minutes and then they went to bed. So, you know, there's that feeling that I think many women have that somebody else is raising my children and I am in the office all the time. So you made a decision to leave at that point or what happened? I did, but I couldn't, I I really wanted to work and I was stuck because I couldn't think of a job that I could do and stay with my kids, spend more time with my kids, a part-time job, something I could do, you know, the, the, the holy grail that so many women with young families look for is what can I do that's a job that keeps a toehold, that keeps me in the professional world, but allows me to spend more time with my family and get through what was going to be a third pregnancy. And the only thing I could think of was writing books because I thought I could do that at home because mm-hmm. um, I have a computer. I can write books. <laughs> uh, <laughs> it stands to reason. Um, but I had not taken an English class since 11th grade. And now I am, you know, a decade out of school. So that was a very, very long time. I had never written a word. Um, I had never written journalism. I had never done anything. But it's the only career I could think of. So I thought I would just try it. Um, sometimes the less you know, the better. Right. <laughs> so like when you decided that, like what in your head was like, like what is the very first step of doing something like that? Well, the very first step is to try and think of something I can write about. And I have no idea. And I'm in a cab one day coming home from work, 
thinking, 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 I got to quit my job. I got to quit my job. I got to quit my job. How am I going to quit my job? I need another job. You know, and this is just running through my mind like a hamster on a wheel and I have no constructive solutions. And, uh, we were in, I was in a cab with a couple of, uh, former colleagues and my husband who was, was a former colleague also. And someone said the words, I wonder why no one has ever written a book about Goldman Sachs. It's such an interesting story. And the one thing I've noticed in life is the answers sometimes come to you. You just have to be listening for them. My, mm. my husband often mm. says, you don't have to have a good idea. You just have to recognize it when it's there. It was not my idea. I never would have thought of it in a million years. But I had the sense to recognize that there wasn't an answer. Goldman Sachs was an interesting story. I had worked there for many years. I knew many people. I knew many partners. Um, and it's a story that should have been told, the whole history of the company. So, so I did it. Wow, that's incredible. <laughs> and and did you um, do it when you were talking to them about getting their permission to write, or I don't know if, like how that all worked, did you have to make the argument that better that I do this story than someone else who might have a different agenda? Or like, what? how did that happen? Well, they were very um, inhospitable at first. Um, I sent letters because it was still in the age of letters. It was the end of the age of letters. We were just switching over to email. Um, I sent letters and then emails saying, um, I'd like to interview people. I'd like to talk to people. No one would respond to me. No one. And I, you know, I'm getting in a little panic now because I've written a proposal, you know, 30, 40 page proposal. I've turned it in. I've gotten a publisher. I've signed a contract. And now I cannot get a single person from Goldman Sachs to speak to me. But mm -hmm. many, many partners had left. There'd been a big disaffection in the uh, late 90s. So I started interviewing former partners and I interviewed more and more people and former employees and more and more people and started and doing, you know, historical research into the, the 19th century roots of the company, 20th century history of the company. And at one point, and you just, I have never known what flipped the light switch. Uh, someone reached out to me and said, uh, who would you like to speak to at the firm? Mm. Um, I think that they came to the realization of what you're just saying, better she writes the book with us than without us. Um, and after that, I had access to everybody. I interviewed every senior partner. I interviewed retired senior partners. I interviewed everybody. I, they gave me access to everybody I wanted to speak to after that. And then this became a best-selling book. Yeah, it did. Um, not because it's such a good book. I'll tell you that right now. But because... Be, because <laughs> You're being modest. No, I'm not. I'm, I'll tell you, it's because of exactly what the friend had said to me in that cab. No one had written a book about Goldman Sachs. It was behind a veil. At the point at which I published the hardcover book, um, the firm was still private. It was a privately held company. Right. Um, in the year between the uh, hardcover and the paperback, it went public. So I rewrote some of the book and wrote another chapter for the paperback about the IPO process. But very little, when it was still a privately held partnership, very little was known about the company. So the book took off because people wanted to know what, what was behind this. I have a copy of the book. I remember... <laughs> Not only because you wrote it, but it, it was a great book. Thank so you. whatever you want to say, Lisa, I, I, <laughs> I love the book. Um, really, of course, um, my favorite books are uh, nonfiction books about finance. So <laughs> it's right, right in the book about what I love to read about. Um, so that's so exciting. So, um, okay. And then I know that you continued to, to write some books, but can you talk about um, how that experience ultimately morphed into you founding Grown and Flown. Like what happened? What was the beginning of Grown and Flown? If there's any moral of that story, it's just go ahead and do it. Uh, you know, I know it sounds cliche. I know it sounds like a Nike commercial. Um, but if I had known more about publishing, I would never have tried to do this. 
So, you know, steeping yourself in all the reasons why something can't work, I don't, I don't find a good argument um, and certainly not a good way forward. Um, I wrote two more business books and I did a little bit of journalism because of that, um, wrote, writing some articles. And what I found is I really enjoyed that more. Um, the short form, the trying to explore different topics, doing the interviewing, I really found I enjoyed that. Um, and when I, my kids were teenagers and I was looking around for things to read about raising teenagers, I realized there was nothing. So I thought if I started a site with sort of short form journalism, both personal essays, research, interviews about teens and college kids, there might be other people who'd be interested as well. So one did lead to the, the writing led to the other, but I changed topics. Got it. And then, um, was it like a, a lightning bolt? You woke up in the middle of the night and said, it's going to be grown and flown. Was it like the conversations that you had been having with Mary Dell over a long period? Like how did that part happen? I'd love to say it was a lightning bolt. I'd love to see that, say that a lightning bolt hit me. Um, we, we, I had been talking to her about starting the site. Um, we, we, we thought we'd do it together, um, which doing things together, always a good idea. And um, one of my kids was home from college, and I didn't really know how you set up a website, but he figured it out. He figured out how to go on WordPress. He figured out how to start it. And he said, Mom, I'm going back to school tomorrow. It was a Christmas vacation. He said, you need a name for this, or I can't you know, get it, make it live for you. And I dithered and here and there. And, and uh, Gurn and Flown is actually a British expression uh, that people commonly use about children who've left home. Ah. So I so he, he had his hands over the keyboard. I'll never forget it. He's holding his hands over the keyboard and said, Mom, if you want me to get this thing up and running for you, you need to give me a name now. I'm leaving. <laughs> and I was like, okay, grown and flown. So no, no lightning bolt, my child pressuring me. <laughs> I love that. That's a great story. Uh, and then, uh, you know, the the exponential growth, I've watched grown and flown up from the very beginning. And it's just been incredible to see. Like, can you walk us through what the growth has been like, what you think has fueled it, um, and other ideas that you've had that you think have contributed to the phenomenon that it is today? Well, thank you. Thank you for that. Um, I think two things. One is I think what's fueled it is we found a small bit of white space on the internet. So there are, if you search, you know, my baby won't sleep through the night, you will come up with a hundred thousand sites. You know, you'll, there'll be pages and pages of, of Google hits on that. Um, if you Google my kid just cheated on a test in high school, what do I do? There's going to be a lot less offered to you. So I think we just came up with something that where there was a great deal of demand. Um, the demographics were coming our way in the sense that there was the baby boomlet was, was right behind us. Mm -hmm. um, and probably most important to our um, growth is there is a generation of parents who are digitally native in their parenting. They themselves were not digital natives, but when they became parents in the beginning part of the 21st century, they always looked for online resources for their children, for raising their children, for advice, for conversation, for companionship, for community. And they have arrived. So it's 2018 right now. And they have kids in our demographic, which is 15 to 25-year-olds. And they have always looked for online resources. And that really was a big boost to us. Um, parents who'd had their kids in their 90s didn't seek online resources in the same way that this new generation of parents does. Um, so they're looking for us and they found us. That is an incredible insight. 
that, that the parents who are not digital natives themselves are digitally native in their parenting. Yeah, it's a, it's a different generation. It really is. Um, and we kind of hoped this would happen. We didn't know. We kind of waited it out because we started in 2012, 2013. And we, didn't, we weren't really seeing parents seeking us out the way we see them now. And, and that's the difference. You're listening to 321 I Relaunch, the podcast where we discuss strategies, advice, and success stories about returning to work after a career break. I'm Carol Fishman Cohen, your host, and I'm speaking with Lisa Heffernan, the co-founder of Grown and Flown. And we're right in the middle of a conversation about the exponential growth that Grown and Flown has experienced uh, over the last five, six years. And uh, we are talking about parents who might not have been digital natives themselves, but are digitally native in their parenting, as Lisa just pointed out, which I, I just think is, is just an incredible insight. Um, so beyond that, like just in terms of the numbers, like were there certain milestones, certain publicity that you got, um, certain posts that you put out that somehow went viral that that you contribute to um, big jumps in focus and attention on the site? Yes, um, it actually happened relatively early in our second year. Um, I wrote a piece about regretting being a stay-at-home mom. Mm, I remember that. Yeah, and that wound me up on the Today Show, which was a huge surprise. Um, I, you know, Savannah Guthrie interviewed me and we talked about, um, some of the lessons I learned from completely walking away from the workplace. And, um, I think that really hit a nerve with a lot of people. Um, the same nerve that, that I relaunch hits, which is that people put their head up and think, oh my goodness, I need some help getting back to where I once was and where I want to be. Um, so that was a huge, huge milestone. The second milestone was less obvious publicly, but I had written most of the site. So I'm one person with one set of experiences and three lovely children, but only the experiences of one mom with three kids. And we opened the doors to other writers and other experiences. Um, I don't even have, I don't even have a daughter. I mean, I'm missing half of the, you know, parenting experience that so many kids have, so many parents have. Um, we now have 320 writers who write for us. Wow. Um, and that gives us a breadth of experience that, you know, no one, no 10 parents can speak to. Um, many of them are psychologists or teachers or college counselors. So they're bringing their professional expertise as well as their parenting experience to the site. And are these people that you seek out and ask to write or that, do they approach you and ask if they can write for you? It's both. Um, it started one way and now it's the other way. So we sought out people. So we would we would seek out somebody who we thought had a lot of expertise around writing college admissions essays uh, and ask the person for her best experience as a professional. Um, we would seek out teachers or college professors about what they see as some of the things that kids do to become successful students um, and to become happy teenagers. Um, now we're finding that people come to us. So we get dozens and dozens of submissions every week. Um, and we are just constantly reading and accepting and unfortunately rejecting it as well. Um, but oftentimes when we do want a particular topic, um, it doesn't necessarily come our way, but we're looking for it. There's something we're looking to probe. Um, we'll, we'll seek someone out. So it goes both, both ways. And it seems like you've really been on the cutting edge of Facebook technology in the sense that you, when private Facebook groups um, became a thing, you were uh, one of the early ad uh, adopters. And also when um, Facebook Live started, you were one of the early 
um, sites to start using that medium. Can you talk about that? Are you sort of on the lookout for that or you're just open? Like you're, it seems like your stance or your philosophy toward new technology is really fearless and open. Well, we love, I love technology. Um, and I love, um, you know, interacting with community. Um, when we started a Facebook group a couple years ago and, um, it sort of blew up. It, people, I think, were looking for community among other people who had teens and young adults. They were looking. When, when your kids reach that stage in life, you lose many, you lose a lot of the community because you are not, you know, in the classroom, you're not standing outside the school gates, you're not doing some of the things you did, which is where you met other parents. But you also lose a lot of the experts in your life. So you no longer go into the pediatrician with your kid because they're a teenager and, you know, that's that's not your role anymore. You don't speak to the teacher as often. You spoke to the third grade teacher, but you don't really speak to the 11th grade teacher in the same way. Some of the experts that you went to and some of the community you have are dissipating just at the moment where you we think you need them the most, where some of the really, really tough parenting questions arise. So we started a community and people love to go in there and talk about their experiences and mostly ask questions. Um, some of the things that you're going through, you may not know anybody in your life who's ever gone through. And you may find it in a Facebook group. Um, many, many times people are asking the questions anonymously. So they go through us because they're trying to protect their kids' privacy. Mm -hmm. um, so some of the questions, either it's not your story to tell or the issue is, is still too private. Um, so you can come into our Facebook group and you can ask the question and you can get hundreds and hundreds of responses. I'm going to use an example. There was one last night. A young girl, uh, mother came in saying her daughter has been caught a number of times drinking. She's 14 years old and she had just been caught by the police. And of course, the mother's frantic. Her 14-year-old daughter is in trouble with the law already. This is an otherwise good kid who hasn't had any history of trouble, but drinking is becoming an issue. Um, what should she do? Well, she may, not, she may not know anybody in her life who's had that experience, but in our Facebook group, she'll find people who've had similar experiences or who are high school teachers and see this much more often than you or I would as a parent mm -hmm. um, and, and can offer her real wisdom and insight. So we kind of jumped into these things early um, and we've worked with Facebook to sort of develop that real sense of community. Wow. It's, it's really amazing to watch. Um, let me jump to a different topic. Um, and that has to do with the way you and Mary Dell co-lead the company. Um, how did you figure that out? Like who does what and how is over the years, has it shifted? And um, just what's the secret sauce there? Because it seems like you, you guys have an incredible working relationship. Thank you. We, we, we do. I, I will start by saying that it, like any other relationship, I think there's a huge element of luck in every relationship. People fit well together or they don't fit well together. And we can't always predict that. I think a couple things. One is divide and conquer. I think we say those words to each other a hundred times a day. I do not need to know everything you do. You do not need to know everything I do because that just t takes up more of our time. I'll post you what, when I do something that's important, you, you post me. The second thing is to recognize each other's strengths and weaknesses. I'm the one who had the writing background. Mary Dell's background was in ad sales. She worked for NBC um, television for a long time. She's much more used to dealing with that side of a business than I am. I was completely naive. Um, so you know, playing to each other's strengths, figure out early on who does what best and then let them do it. At the third thing I think is trying to keep your ego in check. Mm. Um, very difficult to do, very difficult not to try and rewrite somebody or add your little spin to it. Just recognizing that 
we, we all do things differently. That doesn't mean we do them better. So if she's doing something and I would do it differently, but that doesn't mean I would do it better. Let go. Just let go. Um, because ego, I, ego would, I would think be the most dangerous thing to a partnership. And then the final thing is just trust. You need right. to be able to trust that other person that their judgment is your judgment. And until you hear otherwise, just assume the, assume trust. And we do that. Mm-hmm. Oh, that's super, super helpful. Um, we, I have so many questions I want to ask you <laughs> we have like a diminishing amount of time. So I'm going to just jump around a little bit. Um, can you talk about um, the the demographics of the audience of Grown and Flown? Is it age? Is it gender? Is it socioeconomic status? Like, and do you? I mean, can you share those numbers with us? I don't know. If that's confidential. No, happy to. Oh no, no, happy to. I'm happy to share anything. <laughs> okay. um, it's overwhelmingly women. It's overwhelmingly moms. Um, I think we write a bit much with that tone. I think that's who we've attracted. We love having dad writers. We have a couple more um, who've become regulars that we love, but it's overwhelmingly mothers at the moment. Uh, Forty to fifty-five. Not for any reason, except that's the people who have 15 to 25-year-olds overwhelmingly. We do have women in their 30s who had their children younger. We do have women in their 60s who had their children a bit later. But 40 to 55 is the sweet spot of our demographic. Um, not so concentrated socioeconomically. Um, slightly slanted towards those who are spying for their kids to go to college. And I use college in the largest sense of community college to, you know, four-year colleges, any kind of college, because we, there's a lot of talk about getting kids through high school and onto that process. So it, it's very much a college-going population, which isn't to say the parents went to college, but they have aspirations for their kids to go. Right. Got it. And then, um, like, what does it look like for the future? And how do you think about the future for Grown and Flown? And uh, like, do you have different products? And there could be parts of it that are out there in the public domain that as closely as I follow it, I'm not aware of. So maybe talk about some of the other pieces of what you offer your community. Yeah. Um, What we're offering more and more are um, expert information. So there's more and more expert information going on the site. Um, Pieces by um, adolescent psychologists, pieces by college counselors, teachers, um, medical professionals, more and more content. Well, we still have many essays by parents about their experience, more and more content that I would call expert content. A lot of that expert content is also coming into the site. So we are doing, as you mentioned, more and more Facebook interviews, um, Facebook lives. So with either authors, um, I'm doing one on Wednesday with Rachel Simons, who wrote a book called, I'm just forgetting it, but it's about all the pressures our teens go through to reach, to be per- perfect. It's very much focused on girls um, and how that pressure is really, really harming girls. Um, I'm interviewing tomorrow night, a college counselor. She's a nationally known expert on college admissions. Um, we're going to be taking, because we do Facebook Live, we're going to be taking audience questions. So we're trying to offer our readers more and more expert content so that they both enjoy and feel like someone gets them but that they can also ask their questions from those who really know professionally. Right. And I know that you run a very successful pro bono um, um, fundraiser. And can you talk about what that is? Yeah. Yeah. We're doing it again right now. Um, We're in high season. So um, we all recognized as parents who'd already had kids in the college process, how incredibly expensive it is just to get them out of the house and into their dorm room. The sheets, which you don't have those sheets in your house because no one has Excel sheets. The sheets, the towels, the blankets, the the 
power strip just the, the basics, the absolute basics to get a kid into a dorm room. Um, so we're working with the University of Texas. They have a group of first-generation kids that they work very closely with, trying to get these kids up and running and comfortable and graduating University of Texas in four years. So we're working with them with a small population called Foundation Scholars. And we do a fundraiser. We raise money from our community to pay for these items. And then we give the kids the basics they need um, to get started, the, the mattress pad, the the mattress cover um, to get started in their dorm rooms. But thanks for mentioning that. It's a really important piece for us. Yeah, it's incredible. And I, I, I just watched that um, grow and the impact that it had. And I also remember, I think you and Mary Dell were named by People Magazine as, um, I, I, I can't remember what it was, but can you tell us what that was? Yeah, um, it was kind of crazy. Uh, two of the 25 women changing the world uh, for t- t- 2017. Um, you know, working with these kids who really come to college um, as first-gen students without parents who know quite how to prepare them for it, because it's hard enough if you have already been to college yourself. It's really difficult if you haven't been. Um, yeah, People Magazine gave us that distinction. It was very nice. Mm, Well-deserved. Thank uh, you. Really, really exciting. Um, all right. So I want to um, end by asking you a final question, and we ask all of our podcast guests this, and that is a top piece of advice that you have for relaunchers, even if it's something that we already talked about during the course of this conversation. Well, I'll I'll say to you what I what I said to Savannah Guthrie, and <laughs> doesn't make it sound like I talked to her every day. The one time I talked to her for two full minutes, um, and it's it's what I what I said in the piece about regretting being a stay at home mom. There's nothing wrong with staying home for your kids. It was one of the most wonderful experiences in my life. What I really regretted when I got right down to it was not keeping a pilot light lit under my career. So, mm-hmm. not keeping some tiny toehold into my professional life, whether that just means keeping in contact with people that you once worked with professionally, whether it means being a teacher and doing some substitute teaching a couple of times a year, or a nurse doing some just filling in some shifts, or whatever your professional experience is, whether it means just going to a couple of conferences, just so you're slightly up to date on what's happening in whatever your industry is. I wish I'd kept that pilot light lit. And if somebody was going to take time off, that is the number one thing I would say to them. Find a way just to keep that lit. It's a lot easier to turn the flame back on again when that's already going. Mm, great advice. And I love that imagery of the keeping the pilot light lit um, for people to keep in mind. Even people who might be listening who are anticipating a career break in the future. Really, really good advice. Um, Lisa, thank you so much for joining us today. Can you tell our audience how they can find out more about Grown and Flown? Yeah, we are Grown and Flown everywhere. So the site is just called Grown and Flown. If you Google it, um, we're Grown and Flown on Facebook. We're Grown and Flown on Twitter, Pinterest, uh, Instagram. Um, we just just Google Grown and Flown and you'll find us. Thank you. Okay. And is it with an amp- ampersand or the word and? With the word and. Okay. Grown and Flown with the word and written out. Thank you. So thank you uh, so much, Lisa. And thanks everyone for joining us today. You've been listening to 321 I Relaunch, the podcast where we discuss strategies, advice, and success stories about returning to work after a career break. This is Carol Fishman Cohen, chair and co-founder of I Relaunch and your host. For more information about I Relaunch, go to irelaunch.com. And if you like this podcast, be sure to rate it on iTunes and your favorite podcast platform. And be sure to share this podcast with a friend on Facebook, Twitter, and other social media. Thanks for joining us.